My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give participants in a wide range of social change work a chance to take a longer view as they talk about what they do, how they do it, and why they do it. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Khadija and Madeline of the AKA Autonomous Social Centre in Kingston, Ontario. So many of the changes that need to be made in the world are urgent. So many people are suffering and struggling valiantly to survive. So many aspects of the natural world are being destroyed. As a consequence, formations of people, activist communities, radical scenes, political groups, anarchist spaces, that have come together to work for such changes in collective ways, exist in a cycle of constant urgency, turning from one campaign to another without pause for breath or thought. And such work is important. But what if some of us decided to take a different approach? What if we decided to meet this urgency not by deliberately working faster, but by turning at least some of our energy to projects that meant working slower, being intentional, turning a more deliberate eye towards the long term? What might be gained by investing some of our energy in building lasting organizations and institutions, in doing the unglamorous work of building what Toronto activist Alan Sears has named infrastructure of dissent? The AKA Autonomous Social Centre is one experiment in doing just that. Khadija and Madeline talked to me about the cooperatively owned and run space and the interlinked collectives that constitute the project, the broad array of groups and events from the wider community that animate it, the possibilities that the center supports, and their thoughts about why this kind of slow, deliberate, long-term work must be one element in overall struggles for social change. I spoke with Khadija and Madeline by Skype from Kingston. As happens sometimes with Skype, there are moments in the interview where the sound quality is less than ideal. My apologies. My name is Madeline, and I am an anarchist in Kingston, Ontario, and a member of various collectives of the AKA Autonomous Social Centre. My name's Khadija, and I'm also someone who identifies with anarchism. I'm reluctant to call myself an anarchist. I also live in Kingston, and also am involved with the AKA Autonomous Social Centre. AK is an organization as well as a physical place. So it's a physical space building located in downtown Kingston that houses a library slash bookstore and an event and meeting space. It's also an organization that consists of collectives responsible for different aspects of running the space and using the space. We've been operating in Kingston as a space since 2008, so we're just over five years, but it's been many years before that in the making. We have one collective that's a co-op that owns and operates the building in certain respects, and then we have another collective that coordinates the community space activities, so who rents it and who uses it and what groups use it and those kinds of logistical things as well. And then there's other groups and spaces that sometimes use it periodically, like maybe weekly or maybe for one-off events. Prior to the space being here, many of us were involved in different kinds of campaign-based activist politics And that felt frustrating and difficult, one, because of the political ambiguity. People came from all kinds of different political traditions and interests and ideologies. 
And then also people would get interested for a period of time and then leave. Groups would blow up because of political conflict or people like us who were interested in anarchist ideas and approaches to organizing would get alienated from groups or not provided access to spaces or places to meet and those kinds of things. And so many of us came to different conclusions at different times of the importance of building an anarchist and autonomous institution in Kingston that would provide a space for us to be able to have our own activities, promote and educate people about anarchism, and to do that in a way that's honest to our values and interests. And also didn't necessarily have to be running from campaign to campaign, but actually trying to build an institution slowly. We sometimes say that we're into slow anarchism. (laughs) Our idea with an autonomous social center is to provide a foundation. It's like a basis of opportunity for anarchism and anarchist projects to grow. That's sort of our purpose with it. A major difference between our autonomous social center incarnation and social centers that have existed in Europe is that from the beginning, our goal was to actually purchase a building and own a building in the capitalist sense and the legal sense of holding the title and getting a mortgage. That was a strategic decision that was made really early on, as opposed to squatting as a way to try to have something long-lasting and sustainable. So tell me more about the process of the founding, how it went from an idea that a bunch of people shared to actually having an organization and a space. I think things really kind of got more intense in 2007, where we were meeting very regularly as a group of probably about 10 people. Our process was consensus decision making to try to get a sense of our own individual interest and whether or not we had enough of a basis of unity to come together to embark on this project. And so after many, many discussions and debates about how we would be structured and those kinds of things, we came to enough of a sense of shared purpose to embark on this project together. Everyone who was involved in those meetings, we all individually tried to raise capital to be able to do so. So some of us had savings, some of us took out bank loans, some of us borrowed money from our parents. And then one member was in a position to be able to secure a mortgage as an individual, and they did so. And so that's actually how we were able to purchase a building. And, you know, variations of us went to go look at properties and that kind of thing to consider that that we could afford and that would meet our needs and make sense financially. I think it's worth noting that the initial collective, or let's not just say group, that purchased a building consisted primarily of middle-class former students from the university here in Kingston, Queens, and a professor from Queens. Not exclusively, but the majority of members fall in that category. And many of us were able to borrow substantial amounts of money from our parents. Not, not my parents. They wouldn't give me anything, though they have money. But that really facilitated the process. Like, it made it possible. And I think that the idea that we should leverage the resources of our class privilege was central to the beginning of the project in that we have access to all this money and we can actually gam it out of our parents in a way and put it to good use, even though not all of us did that. And people also took out bank loans and had savings from work and other ways of accessing funds, like they were diverse ways. But it wouldn't have been possible without some people getting their parents to loan them like several thousand dollars. When we first started, there was just one group, although the nature of our building is such that the social center itself is really the main floor of the building. And the second floor of the building, there's an apartment, second and third floor. 
And so the main group of people that was organizing the AKA men, there was sort of a separate group that was like the housing group. But for the most part, in terms of the logistical stuff and the financial stuff, as well as the running of the main space, it was just one group, right? After a short period of time, it broke off into other groups, but many of us were in all collective. Yeah, <laughs> so it sometimes feels like it was always one big meeting, but right. it wasn't. It's changed a lot, both because there have been people who've left and new people who've come, like lots of different types of organizations and projects, but also because we've undertaken a concerted effort to have an organization that would allow people to get involved in different ways and that would have space for people to get involved in different ways, but also accountability and consensus throughout and different things like that. So it's really evolved and we have actually a complex structure that we hope will be meeting our needs and our goals. Just to add to, you know, how we've changed over time and how we've kind of become more structured, part of why we chose to do that is that as we were growing and moving into different groups and getting different people involved and trying to get more people into the project, we made a lot of mistakes along the way about how to do that. We learning from those mistakes about not adequately preparing people for what our processes are like or what's consensus like. It caused a lot of hiccups and we thought, okay, we need to sit down and spend some time thinking more about our structure and how we do things so that we're not just a group of friends doing something, but we actually have a process and we can become a project that grows and has a broader identity than just 10 people who are somewhat friends with each other. We've definitely witnessed also other projects both here and elsewhere that have fallen apart because they fail to grow outside of that group of people who spend all their time together organizing. One of the big mistakes we made is that we lacked transparency and so people would get involved in the project but then because the consensus process was not strong and because there was a lot of informal modes of organization, decisions were being made outside of meetings and people who were getting involved were sometimes were like not really truly able to get involved and so we kind of tried to make a systemic fix to that in a way by making a sort of more rigorous form of organization. Tell me more about that. What did that involve? So for one of our collectives that we call Germinations and that's the collective that coordinates the activities in the community space we met probably every month at least for a year to hash out we kept calling them our existential meetings because we were just trying to find that balance that we were seeking as individuals and as a group and so we developed processes for how new people can get involved and we developed a forum for how people can request space so that we were making sure we were asking people all the same questions and trying to be fair you know we also developed clarity about we wanted collectives to be doing and what we get in just so that we had you know a clear sense of purpose just so that when someone would join we would be able to say like this is our purpose and this is how you can get involved and this is what we're about and this is how things work so that we can try to close that information gap quickly so that people don't feel excluded or not able to fully participate in that same collective germinations we actually like spent several meetings brainstorming like What as a collective do we actually do and what could we do and what do we not do? And we wrote it down. (laughs) And then we also thought about if we want someone to get involved, what is the process for someone getting involved? Who can get involved and how? And we decided on like a dating period and a process whereby we check in with people once they get involved, if they want to stay involved. And also we confirm that we want them to continue to stay involved. So it's 
I sort of loathe to use the word, but we try to be like intentional and clear about our purpose and our process for all those things. And then, you know, we've also had different conflicts that have needed to be worked through to also make our meetings and stuff more pleasant and functional and allow us to be able to work together better. So you said that in terms of the current structure, there's the co-op that runs the building, there's the collective that coordinates the space, and then there are groups that use the space. Do I have it right? That's right, but there's a little bit more. So there's also a collective called the Blue Heron Books and Zines Collective. That's a collective that runs like a bookstop zine library. It's not a library. Um, it's a space that sells books and zines, but to which people can become members for a sliding scale donation and then have access to preview books for up to three weeks. So it's a bookstore that has like a borrowing function. So that's also a collective. And then there's a large encompassing collective that is just the AKA. Sometimes we also call it meeting the whole. The membership of that whole is members of all the other collectives. One first gets involved with the collective and then they can join the whole and be a member of AKA. So that collective meets infrequently Yeah, and this whole format is also sort of new. The collectives themselves have been operating for a while and function well, but the whole is, it's functioning, it's not as old. But the idea is that that's a space for us to deal with conflict, to vision for the whole project, to share the kinds of things that the collectives are working on, to bring proposals and ideas that really involve everyone's input and decision-making, and to potentially also create new collectives. That would be the space out of which one could create a new collective. In terms of the AKA members' meetings, one of the other things that's important about the distinction between being a member of AKA versus being a member of a collective is that if you want to join AKA, you kind of have to be intentional about it. You have to be able to say, like, I want to join, and this is me being part of that. As a project, like, this is a really large endeavor, and we really aim to get people involved, not just in terms of being politically committed, but also being able to commit time or energy into helping the project function in whatever way that may be. And so the intentional aspect's important. And also a commitment, time, energy, and, like, a social commitment to being in a collective with other people. And coming back to the slow anarchism idea, we also really welcome lots of groups of people to use the space, but lots of people come and go, but we also want to build relationships with people who are going to be here for a while. Yeah, and I think that relates, maybe I don't know if we mentioned it, but in terms of the founding and the beginnings and the reasons to have a social center, I think that there were people who were staying around and doing political stuff and anarchist stuff for a while and getting sort of there would be people who would move to Kingston and get involved and then have nothing to hold them there. And so the idea was that this space can give people a reason to stay, whether they're born and grew up in the area or moved here from elsewhere. And, you know, I think that that, to a certain extent that that's been true. I also think that to a certain extent we've seen that there's, like, drawbacks to that. You know, there are more reasons that people stay in a place than a a social (laughs) centre. So tell me about how the space and the infrastructure that the social center provides gets used by folks beyond the immediate collective members. There are lots of ways. Right now, there's a few events that happen on a regular basis. So on a weekly basis, there's a combat skill share that's here. From what I understand, 
It's a group of people that get together to practice fighting skills in a, and self-defense skills in an environment that is striving to sort of counter a lot of mainstream ideas, anti-fat phobic starting point and a trans and queer positive starting point and a lot of focus on rules of engagement and consent. So that happens once a week. There's also a local feminist organization based on campus that runs a bi-weekly film screening. A monthly film screening. Oh, monthly, sorry. It's called the Lavana Gender Advocacy Center. So they're doing like a series called Feminist Horrors and Monstrous Women around depictions of women as monstrous and, and women's bodies as that. And there's a reading group. It's a closed sort of anarchist reading group that happens every couple of weeks. Um, and then there's one-off events. So last Friday, there was an event here that was a launch of a scene about the Quebec movement. And, and the kinds of events that happen here vary extensively. So members of our clubs might put on public events that are about educational workshops or having a book launches or speaker series or film screenings or workshops. So... The kind of activities vary from month to month and partially are dependent on who's coming through town or things that we find pertinent and important to be talking about locally. Before the G20, there was a series here on preparing people to participate in protests, for example, that was back in 2010. There was a workshop about how to be safe, about health and safety, and there was another workshop around like media and communications. A lot of the stuff that happens here comes from an anarchist or autonomous perspective. There's lots of organizations that rent space here to do events that are things like tenant rights workshops or film screenings or workshops or events that are kind of about public education in some way. Because we've been around for a while, it's, it's hard to kind of generalize. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because there's been so many different kinds of things that have happened here. You know, like there's a group of people who did a make your own menstrual pad workshop, or, you know, the, the kinds of activities really do vary. Anyone who has spent any time in any kind of meeting, but in activist, social movement-y, anarchist meetings knows that there are always ways that power gets inside our groups and messes them up in terms of gender oppression and racism and heterosexism and so on. What are some of the things that the center has done to challenge that, to stave off that, to make the collectives function justly? That's a good question. <laughs> That's something we struggled with a lot in some ways, but there are many people who are part of our project who have very much a commitment to addressing those kinds of issues, both within our collectives as well as being able to try to dismantle that in society at large. In terms of our collectives, we've had situations where there are those kinds of power dynamics that come up in collective groups, and we've had mixed success with being able to identify and address them as a group. Sometimes there would be situations where we would try to deal with it individually, one-on-one, -on -one, but when a person might be treating many people in a similar way, you kind of need a group response to that. And we've had mixed success with being able to raise those concerns and try to actually encourage people to live what they say they believe, you know? I guess I'm being abstract at this point, but, you know, we've dealt with that dynamic also at public events, but I think that's something that we feel like we're trying to evolve and grow and get better at. We don't feel like we have all the answers, but we feel like we definitely have a commitment to be able to address problems as they present themselves. I feel like it's hard to talk for the group as a whole. 
we're an organization that has a commitment to anti-oppression and has certainly spent a lot of time talking about what that means and how we actually enact that. When we were going through our existential process, we had envisioned a potential future collective as like an anti-O collective. It's hypothetical, it doesn't exist. But what we had talked about as something that we thought would be good was a collective that would be able to like provide resources and challenge the organization as a whole on anti-O not the like anti-o-police or the people that would be turned to to resolve every conflict when some dude's being a patriarch, but like a group that would be committed to developing those resources and critically engaging with anti-o within the organization. So in the absence of that collective, the Germanations collective does take on that role to a certain extent specifically in terms of issues of accessibility and part of our mandate to concern ourselves with the accessibility of the project and of the space and bring up issues of accessibility to the meaning of the whole. And I think that racism and patriarchy operating within the collectives and within events that are happening are all part of accessibility. So that's one way. And I think also just there are people involved in our project who have a lot of experience bringing up issues and are good at it. I think that some of us have tried to foster environments in which it's okay to talk about things, and we've had lots of conversations. I also want to say that I feel like it's ongoing, and the cultural environment in Kingston is a sort of white Anglo-Saxon environment, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant environment, in which bringing up problems is really hard to do. People around here don't like to bring up problems. If you bring up a problem, you become the problem. And that's something that we've definitely struggled with in our organization. And continue to, I think, although I feel like like things are pretty good right now. Yeah, I think that it's hard to talk about the extent to which it's part of the fiber of what many of us believe is part of this project because... You know, I don't think you can have anarchism without anti-oppression. And you know, I know that's a conflict in many anarchist communities and radical communities, period. But I do think that we do prioritize that as something that we think about and try to reflect upon and change our approaches to. I personally don't believe in the idea of safe spaces. I don't think a space can be safe for everyone at all times. But I definitely think we try to be safer and be open to criticism about how we can be better at that. I don't know if you mentioned this earlier, but our space was closed for a period of time, and in that time we installed an accessibility ramp and accessible washroom, which is important both for us as an approach to being accessible, but also because we're in a city where there's very few accessible spaces downtown, and so it's also an important contribution to the community. So we've touched on already the way that in lots of anarchist communities, lots of activist communities more broadly, the way that political work happens is this kind of cycle of urgency uh, where there's always an urgent issue that's demanding everyone's attention. And so they work on that and, and so on. And it seems to me that slow anarchism that you've talked about or prioritizing work on infrastructure might be another way to think about it. That implies something about how you think change can happen and will happen. So tell me a little bit about what you think those implications are for that shift in the focus of the work that you do. Yeah, and I think here we should speak for ourselves and not speak for AKA because I, I, I couldn't presume to speak for the whole organization from this perspective. I guess from my perspective, I very much am invested in the idea of slow anarchism or building infrastructure and institutions slowly and taking the time to do it properly. I mean, you know, I believe in improving upon it and, you know, taking risks and learning from our mistakes and that kind of thing. 
but I definitely feel like it is sort of a process of trial and error that we get better at. I think that I had a lot of frustration with being involved in various campaigns in the city. And, and, you know, it's not that I'm not involved in any still. I think all of us who are involved in this project are involved in other things that matter to us, whether they're campaign-based or otherwise. But in terms of this project, that's not really what we're striving towards. And and for my involvement in it, I think that I'm invested in the idea of building something that will last and that can create an alternative because our communities really lack that in so many ways. I think from my perspective, I feel like I'm in a place that I'm not super hopeful about the possibility of like transformative change in like our current social reality. I feel like a lot of campaign-based politics that anarchists and anti-authoritarians and radical activists engage in are ultimately reform-oriented campaigns. And I'm not criticizing that, but at the same time, there's something sort of lacking. It's, from my perspective, like it can, can never be fully satisfying. I feel like AKA as a project, like I don't necessarily consider it like a revolutionary project although it has maybe like ultimately revolutionary aims, definitely transformative aims. But I see it more as like something that I hope can like help make things more possible, a way to kind of like support possibilities. I feel like things are so far gone in our current reality. Everything is just so bad that that's like personally the best thing that I can do and be part of. I think your idea about, you know, about possibility is important, like being able to inspire different ways of like living and being and to get people to think beyond what is our, that current reality, even though it is so depressing and sad <laughs> and, and, you know, anger producing, right? What are some of the key things that are going to be happening at the center in the next six months or year? I think that because so much of our time as individuals is involved in the collectives that keep the space running. We've relied more on other parts of our communities to help animate the space, to be putting on events and things. I'm personally not involved in a, in a regular series of events or anything like that at this point because all of my free time goes towards the like unsexy infrastructure of the project. But having said that, I do think that there's some potential for We've been talking about doing like a, a, a semi-regular speaker series. You know, I also like hesitate to say what may happen because if things change here like night and day, it really depends on what people are passionate about and interested in. You know, we try to be open to what people's ideas are so that things can grow out of the space and it can be sort of a vessel for other people's imaginations within the context of the things we're trying to do here. You have been listening to my interview with Khadija and Madeline of the AKA Autonomous Social Centre in Kingston, Ontario. The centre does not currently have a web presence, but if you have questions or if you want to book an event in the centre, you can email germinations at riseup.net. That's germinations at riseup.net. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to make suggestions about topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link marked radio. That's talkingradical.ca. 
I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Sudbury, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Thank you.